son los juegos que queremos tener como selecciones. El equipo creo que está muy emocionado para, para jugar esos partidos. Este, lo que hemos visto un poco de ellos es que o sea, sabemos cómo juegan, sabemos que son jugadores altos, fuertes, físicos. Este, sabemos que son buenos con la pelota, pero creo que también nosotros somos buenos y tenemos muchos jugadores que tienen calidad. Este, nos prepara obviamente porque son oponentes que, que son fuertes. Cabrón, we had the new spoke Spanish like that. <laughs> We're gonna have to get a barista more often before we do that. Football Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus. On Thursday, October 12th, 2023, alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebi Salazar. Herc, how about that? Weston McKinney, surprised that Ricardo Pepe can speak Spanish. No, he's not surprised. But let me just tell you, Weston McKinney should mm -hmm. be protected at all costs, a national treasure. <laughs> he's one of those guys in the locker room that I bet everybody wants to be around, one of those good mm -hmm. guys. The good thing is he backs it up with his play, uh, but definitely a character. How you doing, Seb? I'm doing very, very well. Absolute vibes there from uh, Weston McKinney as we get set to kick off episode 292 of Football Americas. You, you looking at my shirt here? You want to? Is that a Chivas jersey? That no, he would never do that, Herc. It's the uh, Chivas of Spain, Atlético de Bilbao. How about that? I stole it off Dan Thomas's desk. Uh, sorry, Dan. <laughs> what are you wearing over there? You got some friends down in Austin too, I see. Yes, but not the same friends that you have. See, you had mm -mm. the team send you a jersey. Yeah, the corporate friends, uh huh. Yeah. I actually am a man of the people, Hernan and the We Are Austin TV folk. They sent me this jersey. I am yes. of the people. No, yes. no, no, productor. Oh. He is not of the people. He is of El Pueblo. I am of the people. There's a difference. Okay. okay. Um, Ricardo Pepe, by the way, uh, we should give him a... A dripping for the shirt he was wearing there. I think that's his, uh, his in, like, he came up with the design or helped the design there. Uh, pretty cool gear there for Hispanic Heritage Month. Yeah, I'm still waiting. Still waiting, Ricky. I'm just saying. Still just waiting. Just saying. Just saying. Um, all right, coming up in this edition of Football Americas, we got a lot to get to. A couple great interviews. We're going to hear from Falaron Balogun. He sat down with our Connor O'Halloran just before the international break. Really wide-ranging interview. They get into all sorts of stuff. We got about 12 minutes of that later in the show. We're going to hear as well from Pellegrino Matarazzo, Herc, who I had a chance to catch up with earlier this week, of course, the New Jersey-born manager of Hoffenheim, who right now are fifth place. Look out in the Bundesliga. We're talking decision day in the National Women's Soccer League over the weekend. We'll also be looking ahead to Mexico against Ghana in Charlotte on Saturday. But let's start with the U.S. men's national team who continue their build-up to the game on Saturday against Germany. Actually, uh, not far from here, where I am. It's going to be in Hartford, Connecticut, Rentschler Field. The U.S. enters this game on a 13-match unbeaten run. They're 11th in the latest FIFA rankings. Bit of a different story for Germany. They're 15th in the latest FIFA rankings and have won only two of seven games so far this calendar year. That, of course, has led to a coaching change. Julian Nagelsmann taking over for... Hansi Flick as the leader of the German national team. What about the leader of the U.S. men's national team? That, of course, being Greg Berhalter, who took over in 2019. Here's a look at his record against top 20 teams in the FIFA rankings. Let's hear from Weston McKinney on the matchup with the four-time World Cup champions Germany. I mean, I think it's a great opportunity for us. Um, obviously, beforehand, we, we always compared ourselves in, in, in terms of, you know, we wanted to, to compete. 
with uh, top level countries and uh, around the world. And, and I think, you know, the, the identity that we want to take on now, just like we changed our motto uh, for the next four years leading up to the World Cup, I think for, for us, we want to show that, uh, you know, to win games against uh, these top level teams that we, we expect ourselves to win these games now instead of just competing with them. So I think it's a great opportunity to, to kind of um, see where we're at. Um, and, and try and make that come true and, and, and win these type of games because of the type of games that we have to win to uh, advance uh, the program forward, to advance ourselves forward, um, and, and to be successful in the, in the coming years. All right, then. So there we've heard from Weston McKinney, midfielder for the U.S. men's national team. Herc, you had a homework assignment. Not to tell us your ideal 11, but to tell us the probable 11, to look into the mind of Greg right. Berhalter and guess what he's going to put out on the field against Germany on Saturday. What have you come up with? I think it's going to be pretty accurate. Maybe just one or two doubts here, but it's a pretty straightforward Matt Turner in goal. I'm going mm -hmm. Serginho Dest on the left. Remember, no Anthony Robinson. I don't think uh, Lund will get the start. I think it'll actually be Dest, which means Scally on the right. Ream and Richards, I think he'll go back to Ream there, uh, even though Ream wasn't that good in the last FIFA fixture window. And you can make an argument that hasn't been that good for Fulham either. Musa McKinney, no Tyler Adams will be very important. They're going to be back in that midfield. Gio Reyna, he mentioned it. Same plan as Fuller and Balogun last FIFA fixture window of getting him minutes and then Balogun up top with uh, Timothy Weah and Christian Pulisic on the left-hand side, who's nobody's going to move Christian Pulisic right now, but I'm pretty certain this will be the 11 that we will see. Okay, Herc, no surprises really here. Not too many big surprises, but the big headline is Gio Reyna. So talk to me about the decision here with Reyna, not just kind of where you've put him, but what that means for the rest of the formation. Uh, and then beyond that, I'm very curious in your choice to start him here because we know he's basically played, what, 26 minutes of first-team football 24. in the last four months. Uh, <laughs> no starts. And on top of that, we know about his injury history. So walk me through your choice here. Yeah, pretty straightforward. What have you always said about Greg Berhalter? Sometimes he talks a little too much. He plays his hand. Greg Berhalter said he's going to do the same thing he did, same plan as Fowler and Balogun. He's going to give, like he did, Balogun played the very first game, 45 minutes, second game, 45 minutes as well, got two consecutive starts. I think we're going to see something similar. He's going to try to build his minutes. Uh, that means starting him. So I think he'll get that start maybe just 45 minutes and go from there we'll see what happens in the second game but it makes a ton of sense it's germany it's an opponent mm -hmm. that geo uh, reina knows very well and here's the important thing uh, you need to get geo reina going I, I i don't care what you do if anything in this window we need to see how geo reina fits under gretberg holter because when we saw him at his best geo reina's best it was over the summer and it was against mexico and canada with bj callahan so I don't think B.J. Callahan made many moves without consulting Greg Berhalter. Maybe this was always in the plans about Gio being a 10, but no Tyler Adams. Weston McKinney and uh, Eunice Musa will be there. You need somebody in front of them that could be a little bit more creative. That is Gio Reyna. You need to get the player with the highest ceiling in this pool going. How can he fit in here? And then a good Gio Reyna showing, a good Greg Berhalter, uh, U.S. men's now team showing against these two quality opponents. That's going to put a lot of that talk of Gio Reyna behind them. Anything else, anything short of that is just going to invite more of that talk in. So you need to get Gio Reyna going, and it's going to be very important for him.
I wonder if you'll agree with me here. I feel like the 11 for the U.S. more and more every camp kind of picks itself. Like yeah. there's not a lot of areas where you have a really difficult decision, either for us as we look at it from the outside or I think for Greg Berhalter um, on the inside. The biggest question is one I think that we can table, right? It's the elephant in the room. What do you do if and when you get a Tyler Adams back into this group, right? How would he potentially fit into this? Because what we saw, Herc, is that 4-2-3-1 that you just put up, it looked really good against Mexico. It looked really good against Canada. What if it looks really good against Germany? Then you've got a real question with Tyler Adams, because he's obviously a good player. He can obviously help you out. But do you go ahead and disrupt something that, that really at this point seems to be building momentum? And for me, is the next kind of evolution of this national team. The other questions that I had for you based on your 11 were the back line. I think you explained pretty well why you're going desk to the left side, right? You just feel he's better at that spot than everybody else behind Robinson. Scally to the right makes sense. I do have to acknowledge... I do have to point out that you have dropped Tim Ream uh, into the center of defense, despite the fact that you on this show have tried to retire him many, many times. It seems like you've come around to my stance, which is it's awfully useful to have a left-footed center back in your pool who plays in the Premier League. Even if you're not going to start him, no matter how old he's going to be in 2026, he's very, do you not very listen useful. To your, I know you don't listen to me, but do you not listen to yourself when you talk? You just mentioned it wasn't my ideal 11. It was mm -hmm. my probo mm -hmm. 11 into the mind of Greg Berhalter. Okay. So why are you then surprised that I crawled into Greg Berhalter's mind and picked Tim Ream? So you wouldn't have Tim Ream is what you're saying. Who would you have? Who would I have? Oh, yes. Cameron Carter-Vickers, Miles Robinson. Uh, just, yes. I think it's... Anybody think it's, but. <laughs> well, no. I explained it last go around, and I was proved right. Uh, Tim Ream may redeem himself this go around, but at mm -hmm. some point, three years from now, all you're doing is asking a player who loses instinct, who loses reflex, who loses physical ability to be the same player he was four years ago in the World Cup. I just don't think the odds are in his favor for that. So I would like to get another player that experience or that duo partnership moving forward. I don't think that's too crazy of an ask. All right, so anybody who's watched this show, you've been following the U.S. men's national team. You kind of know where they are heading into this match. Germany might be another story. So let's hear from their brand spanking new manager, Julian Nagelsmann. Here's what he had to say. You talk about the time, so obviously you've got these friendlies coming up against the USA and Mexico. What are you hoping to get out of them? We have to, we have to win. I think that's the most important topic to get the special mood. It's always like that in soccer. When you win the games, everything is, is what you did before is, is good and well. When you lose the game, everything what you did before is, is shit. So at the end, we try to win the game. We try to improve in a short period of time. Uh, we only have two or three training sessions, and uh, it's important that every player uh, get used to my ideas, and uh, I get used to the players. Uh, we know each other, but uh, not in a personal way with every player because I do not train every player so far. So uh, we try to use. The uh, the short periods of time uh, to get well prepared and at the end as I mentioned the most important topic in soccer is to win games so we try to win these two games alright shout out to Kay Murray for helping us uh, there with the interview my, my German's off did he say poop uh, I, I don't know the, uh, the beep button I think uh, got lost in translation ESPN there plus. ESPN plus totally totally it's anything goes here alright so we heard Weston McKinney's expectations for the game Given the state of this German national team, Herc, what are your expectations for the United States on Saturday? Listen, man, I understand Weston McKinney and not just wanting to compete but beat these teams. I think that's mm -hmm. a natural progression when you're trying to beat an elite, be an elite team. Excuse me, when you're trying to win 
a World Cup, which should be the goal for any team participating. But when you have a goal of semifinals at the World Cup, well, there may be an expectancy that you could actually go out and win it by the player. So, fine. I'm good with that. But you got to compete here. Uh, listen, Greg Berhalter has never had a marquee game for the U.S. men's national team, right? Mm -hmm. What's his marquee game? What's What are his games? Beating the worst generation of Mexican players that I've ever seen in my life in finals? That, that's what he's going to hang his hat on? When does he actually beat a team of worse? Are you going to hang your hat on a tie in a World Cup? A 0-0 draw versus England? Is that your claim to fame here? No, you have to have that marquee win. You have to build towards something. If these players, if this team, if this program is to do something special, 2026 World Cup, forget that. Copa America, beating teams like Germany, I don't care what stance or, or, or place in their evolution they are right now, with that player pool is going to go far. Now, Julian Nagelsmann, new coach, and you know the saying, new coach comes in, uh, debuts with his team, it's a team that usually wins. This player pool is good enough to compete with lots of teams, not just the U.S. Yep. men's national team. Hansi Flick had something like 25 different lineups and 25 different games. That era is over. This is a new era. Nothing more would give you that validation in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of CONCACAF, in the eyes of your players, in the eyes of Greg Berhalter himself for that confidence than okay. a good showing versus Germany. So just to be clear, this would be that signature win for Greg Berhalter in your eyes if he gets it on Saturday. Be one of them. I mean, it's a friendly, but it's one of them for sure. Listen, 2002, Bruce Arena beats Mexico in the round of 16 to get to the quarterfinal game. That signature win, right? Uh, mm -hmm. 2010, 2009, Bob Bradley stopped a 35-game unbeating streak for the Spanish national team at the Confederations mm -hmm. Cup, got to the final, was 45 minutes away in a 2-0 you know, result away from winning the Confederations final. Win! They won! They won the 2010 World Cup group in a group where they were with England. Those are marquee wins. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, for what he did, uh, won at the Azteca, beat Germany, beat Italy, uh, beat Holland, you know, Netherlands, all of these, mm -hmm. by the way, in Europe. Those are marquee wins. Right now, Greg Berhalter, his marquee wins are finals against the worst generation of Mexican players that I've ever seen in my lifetime. So bad that it's historical. So bad that the first time they've not surpassed the group phase was this last World Cup, not since 1978, have they not done that. So mm -hmm. that's his claim to fame, the marquee uh, win right now for him. This would be a step in the right direction, absolutely. If ever there was a moment where you'd like to pick the U.S. to beat Germany, it'd have to be here. And I don't think, Herc, it's just down to what's happening with Germany, right? We can look at the recent run. We can look at the fact that they just fired the coach. You can look specifically at the 4-1, just shellacking that they took against Japan. But this has to do with the U.S. moment, too, right? Let's talk about all the guys for this U.S. team that are playing really well right now. You look at that front six, the guys who are basically, you figure, going to be the decisive attacking players in this match. Five of them, Herc, are starting and producing at big clubs. Maybe not the biggest clubs, but at significant clubs in Europe. Balogun is, is starting and scoring in France with Monaco. you got Christian Pulisic starting and scoring with AC Milan. Yunus Musa ahead of schedule, but starting this past weekend, both Tim Weah and Weston McKinney started for Juventus. The one guy that's not starting is the guy that we're all talking about figuring out a way to get more minutes for, and that's Gio Reyna, and we know he's got the talent. So you look at how well the U.S. is playing coming into this game, and I'm telling you, Herc, 
as a U.S. fan, if I was ever going to feel confident against Germany, and there is some decent history against Germany. The U.S. beat them in Cologne in 2015. They beat them at RFK uh, in 2013. This would seem to be the game on Saturday. You know who doesn't think this is going to be the game is the odds makers, Herc. They got the U.S. here at plus 285 to win in 90. Germany at minus 119. You know what I'm loving here? Is USA double chance? No, well, yes, the over. uh, The over as well, for sure, for sure. USA double chance. So USA to win or draw at minus 110. You can almost double your money. Tell me that's not a good deal for Saturday afternoon in Hartford. It is a good deal, but a two and a half, I think, is at plus 180 is a a better deal in my my estimation. I saw saw them too. I saw them too. Listen, you know the mantra, and and thinking from a player's perspective, Mm -hmm. This isn't the same German team. There are new players in this team. There are, there are some players who don't play at big clubs in Germany, get an opportunity here, quality players. New players, new coach. You're going to want to go out there, do your thing, show them that you can be part of this program. That's a dangerous little combo right there for the U.S. Okay, so they're an impromptu book. It Herc says over two and a half Saturday. I say USA double chance to win or draw. Somebody who figures to play a big role on Saturday is Falaren Balligan, and the 22-year-old forward sat down with our Connor O'Halloran for a wide-ranging interview just before the international break. Let's check it out. Nice turn, Balligan gets the shot, and that's what he does best. Reyna. Glides through the midfield. Forward to Balogun! His first goal for the United States! Why was it you think you were able to like break out so quickly there? What yeah. was it about Rem? Yeah, I think um, I spoke to Will at the beginning of the season when I went there and even though he wasn't the manager at the time, he was like the assistant, but I spoke to him and he almost kind of said to me, what do you want to achieve out of this year, out of this loan? Um, and I feel like that wasn't a conversation I would have with other players. It was almost like, because he knew, he knew I was from London and he just almost um, maybe took a warming to me. So he just said, what do you want to achieve? And I told him, I, I just want to come here, prove I can play, score goals, set a target of 10 and um, just almost get in and out, uh, do my work, go home, get on with it. So he understood that. And then the moment I said that, he almost just um, built the, I wouldn't say built the team uh, to, to accommodate that, but he definitely knew my targets. And he, he almost said that, listen, we've got somebody here who's come in to do a job. Um, we're ready to do our job as well. So let's just work together and achieve good things this season. And it just came together nicely. You had this decision to make between your parents are Nigerian, you were born in New York, but you grew up in London. And they're three like football mad countries and the, the responsibility to play for any of them is, and the honour to play for any of them is massive. What was that decision like? Because that obviously happened for you sort of during your time last season where it became clear that you could pick any one of these three and it, 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 you can make it work. What was that decision like for you? Did it ever play on you? Like, uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I ever lost sleep about it because um, I always said it was something that was going to come to me naturally. Um, and in the end it did. 
I, w I remember just speaking with my my mum really wanted me to play for America um, so she was telling me like a long time ago just I should do it but at the same time uh, I think that was prior to the World Cup and I thought that might be a bit too soon for me if I haven't really decided um, and I wouldn't want to commit to something if I'm not sure so uh, during that season with Rems I just remember um, I think it was Anthony Hudson, he reached out to me uh, or to my agent and he said that he would like me to to come over and just talk with him and um, go through like the project with the US team. And I did that um, and yeah, we spoke uh, briefly and then uh, it was just more about me being there, embracing the culture and then um, the moment I did that and uh, I really uh, understood the project. It just slowly dawned on me um, the opportunity I have here and uh, the, how, how much I think US soccer is going to progress soon so, and even the direction it's taken now. So it became a no-brainer in the end and um, I went back to, to France and I sat on it for a few days and I just sent uh, a text to my agent saying, like, let's do it. And, yeah. If I can take you back to those, you were, you were two when you moved to London, right? Yeah. What were those few years in New York like for your family? Um, are they, can you paint me a picture of that time? Like, have they told you much about that? Yeah, um, my mum was visiting um, her sister. She lives in uh, Brooklyn, or she was living in Brooklyn at the time. So um, she went there to visit her. Um, and that was just because they haven't seen her in a while. So it was almost like a vacation. When was that? Um, I mean, must have, been, must have been just about June or uh, June 2001. Uh, yeah. I was born in July, so I remember she she wanted to come back, um, but then because she was heavily pregnant with me, the, they said that she couldn't. So uh, my mum said to my sister, of course, uh, she explained the situation. My sister was like, no problem, you can stay with me and have the baby here. Um, and then, yeah, that's just how it happened. So a part of it was just almost fate. And then my mum still holds on to that fate, thinking it happened for a reason. And then just the way football works out and then US coming back into the picture. Um, for her, it was probably deeper, me, me playing for the US. So that's kind of, yeah, the, the story of how it was. And what was the reception like once you made the decision? Um, not just among fans, but people around you, your family, your teammates. What did they say? Because, I mean, that's such a big decision. I'm going to represent the United States. This isn't a... I mean, the World Cup's coming there soon. Yeah. Like, what did they say? There was, a lot of, there was a lot of joy, I think. There was a lot of people who were congratulating me, saying, well done. Um, of course, sharing their opinion. Um, saying, oh, you made the right decision, stuff like that. But, um, no, the, the reception I got was, was, yeah, really nice. And then even from me, it was just a sense of relief. Uh, that it was out of the way and like I would stop getting asked about it and stuff like that. So I was definitely happy and and um, yeah, it was just about it was just about uh, getting to work. And the next the next event at that time was the Nations League, so I was a bit nervous for that. But um, I wanted to make sure my uh, I was registered before it so I could play in it. So I'm happy that got done. What was it first like entering that team? There's some big characters in there, some big quite big stars actually. Yeah. Um, I knew of them, um, so it wasn't almost. I wouldn't consider it entering like a new team feeling. It was. It was like I, I knew of them, or I've heard of most of them. So um, 
it was good to, to obviously join with them and just be a part of it now. Um, and it was just like almost um, important for me to just to just be there, be present, be with the team. Uh, when we have uh, when we're on camp and we get time off, spend time with the boys, do what like they would do. So that was that was enjoyable for me. And then. Uh, as we, as I said, uh, just preparing for that first game against Mexico, asking them what they like. Uh, so like, it was an enjoyable experience, and like, I learned a lot for sure. And is there anything, any conversations or anything that stands out now looking back? Like, I can imagine it. What the conversations like with the captains of that team, the Pulisic, Jim Ream, you know, the, yeah. the real leaders of that team. What were the conversations with them like? Yeah, um, the conversation with them was more. Um, just me asking a few questions, just like what to expect from Mexico. And they explained that it was a big rivalry. Uh, they said that it'll be an aggressive game. Um, the Mexicans and their fans will be really up for it, trying to make it hostile. And then uh, to be fair, I just kind of nodded it off and said like, yeah, I agree. Uh, I understand what you're saying. I played in rivals, like rivalries before, so I kind of know what to expect. But then when I got out there and um, I was in the game, I realised that they weren't they weren't joking. It was a hostile game, and yeah, I mean, it was it was it's a part of international football, and it's it's different. Like. Uh, Football in uh, America is different to football in Europe, so it was definitely something, um, a few adjustments, but it was uh, it was good. And what was it like to score your first goal against Canada? There must be something about getting on the score sheet that just, like, once you've got one, you can get loads. Yeah, that's the feeling for, for most players, I assume. Um, and yeah, just um, scoring against Canada in the final, so my first goal coming in the final was just, it was just good. Uh, and I mean, it was just a fantastic summer for me. I felt like it was really one of my best, probably career seasons I've had so far. And to be fair, it was my first full season in professional football. So I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a bad season at all. And do you ever? Uh, most players, I know they always look to just the next game, quite short term, focus on the here and now. Is it ever spoken about in that squad that you are going to be? at the 2026 World Cup. It will be a home World Cup. There's going to be lots of expectation or or at least eyes from closer than most people will have. Do you ever speak about that as a squad? Or was that spoken about during the decision that it's going to be a big part of your journey there? Yeah, no, nah, I mean, nobody's nobody's um, like hidden from the elephant in the room. I've been told that uh, and I like I've been told their prediction it will be the biggest sporting event in, in history. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be a big event. Uh, it's definitely going to be something that's going to be historic. Um, and yeah, something I can I can tell to to my children down the line. So, for sure, um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, there will be a lot of expectations, but I mean, it wouldn't be any fun if there wasn't. So it's part of the game. And 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 yeah, I'm just everyone in the squad's looking forward to it. Do you ever think about it? Like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can imagine sort of every so often thinking like, it's kind of walk out maybe if I keep going well, I keep making my place in this team. That's everyone's dream really as a footballer, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, it would be my first World Cup to play in. So, uh, yeah, it's crossed my mind. Um, and I think it's just uh, more of a feeling of um, making sure I'm in the best possible shape and I'm ready and I'm in uh, by then uh, 2026 
there's things I would have achieved. Uh, I would have hoped to achieve in my career, and I feel like if I can tick off my own checklist before then, I'll be in a top, top position going into that World Cup. And this summer, it, it was, you said how great it was, but I wonder also, was it tough at times? Because you've gone through a lot of change this summer, not only picking the US and having to handle all of that change on an international level, but at club level, you kind of had the decision to make, right? Like, you've, you've achieved what you wanted to do in France, you returned to Arsenal, and it was like, could you, do you want to play for Arsenal? If you go abroad, where do you go? What was that all like for you? What kind of happened there? Yeah, I think the toughest thing was the jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> but um, remember, I was in, I was in LA, uh, and then, uh, yeah, coming back to London after being in LA, I mean, it took me about two weeks to get back in sync. But now, of course, uh, there was a lot of decisions, um, and that was a year I made a lot of change, and I learned a lot by myself. So I knew I was capable of making change. So that's a that's a skill that uh, can really um, do a lot of well for you, uh, just being an athlete. So. It wasn't. It wasn't something that um, bothered me at all. Uh, going back to Arsenal, I knew that a decision was going to be made, and um, I just explained to the club that I wanted to. I wanted to play. Of course, coming off the back of a of a goal-scoring season, you're not going to want to sit on the bench. Um, so I just explained that to them, and they were supportive and said that they'll do the best thing for me. And then um, in the end, it just kind of um, wrote itself. You. You chose to come to Monaco. Uh, I think you told, you said you told your agent that that was where I wanted to go. Can you make it happen? And he, he did. Why Monaco? Yeah, I played against them when I was in France, um, and I mean, I knew that even before we played them, this was a team that. Um, well, whiskers away from really winning the um, the division. I think towards the end of the season last year, they just fell a bit short. Um, but I knew it was a top top side, and I mean the legends, um, their legendary club in French football, um, been around in the top division for so many years, and of course even players like um, Wissam and. Minamino, um, these are just top, top players. So I knew it was a team that um, if I came to Monaco and if I was able to to improve on, on my season last year, I felt like it would be a really good, um, a really good uh, addition uh, for me and we would, would be able to achieve good things. All right, there are the words of Falaren Balogun just before the international break. What... Uh... What a beautiful backdrop there in Monaco, Herc. Uh, what'd you make of the interview beyond the backdrop? Yeah, listen, it's funny because uh, he's coming off of his first real season as a professional footballer, an amazing season where he scores over 20 goals in all comps. And I'm sure he's in his academy time at Arsenal and his time in France has seen intense rivalry games. And here he is talking about Mexico versus USA saying, well, they told me this is what I should expect. And when he gets there, it's not what he thought and how intense it was and how crazy it was. It really is a unique rivalry, especially because of how close both countries are to each other, how much they share and how much, I guess the tides have turned um, since the 2000s or since the turn of the century. So that really caught my eye. What stood out to me is, is when I heard him talk about Monaco. You could tell just how much 
real thought went into that decision, right? One, it's a league that he knew. But beyond that, he's naming guys on the roster that he thought that he could play with. And it's interesting. He mentions Ben Yedder specifically, who's the guy who we thought he would be competing with. Captain. Balgan's a confident young man, right? He yeah. says, hey, this is a guy who I cannot just compete with but maybe end up playing with. We saw recently uh, Monaco going to two strikers up top. So it sounds like a guy who really thinks about what he's doing. He's got a, uh, a great head on his shoulders. Great interview there uh, from Connor O'Halloran of uh, Falaren Balogun. And by the way, you can read the full article over on our website, ESPN.com. Connor really did a great job. He even spoke with Balogun's mom. So you get the uh, full story over on the website. Make sure to check it out, ESPN.com. Connor O'Halloran with the article on Falaren Balogun. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets, but expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's talk L3. Although, legally, I don't know if we can call them that anymore. <laughs> Discussion for another day. Uh, they're gearing up for their game against Ghana on Saturday in North Carolina. Unfortunately, we got a couple injury updates uh, on the back line. Monterrey defender Victor Guzman is reportedly on his way back to Monterrey injured. And Genoa's Johan Vasquez, also a defender, uh, is doubtful. So some problems at the back, but everybody's talking about the strikers, including Jimmy Lozano. Hoy para Jaime Lozano, ¿quién es el centro delantero uno? Oh, difícil. No te la voy a responder, me la guardo. Pero es, es evidente que todos pensamos muy similar. Te lo tengo que decir así, pero para mí hoy, afortunadamente, los tres viven, por lo que me han demostrado aquí conmigo, un, un buen momento y, y habría que estar tranquilos. Más que, digo, sé que a veces lo hacemos algún debate o, y en gusto se rompen géneros, pero habría que estar tranquilos por, por lo que se tiene en este momento en México y en Selección Nacional. All right, Jimmy Lozano doesn't want to name his starting striker, but, but Herc, I can. Because if I've also got not my ideal, but my probable Mexico 11 to face Ghana in North Carolina on Saturday. Now, let's start at the back, okay? Because I'm calling this my Aver Once. 
My Aver 11. Aver, ¿qué tienes? Let's see what you got, 11. All right, at the back we're going Luis Malagón. Goalie's an issue for Mexico. We know they need to get younger. We know they need to see other options beyond Memo Ochoa. Malagón is the youngest of all the guys in the group, so I'll go with him just based on that and the fact that he's doing well right now for Club América. Gerardo Arteaga. Ramón Juárez, César Montes, Kevin Álvarez across the back. César Montes is the only lock in there. Arteaga didn't play at the World Cup. Let's see what you got. Ramón Juárez, Herc, you've been screaming for him. Let's see what he's got. Kevin Álvarez, I would have loved to have Julián Araujo here. If he was healthy, he'd be my starter. Jorge Sanchez not playing enough right now with Porto. Kevin Álvarez gets the nod. Edson Álvarez is a midfielder. Don't try to make him anything else. He's a midfielder. I'm going Luis Chávez and Eric Sanchez. The old uh, Pachuca pair in there. I want to see more of Chiquito Sanchez. I was between him and Marcel Ruiz. Ruiz has earned some minutes. Sanchez, I think, has earned the start based on what he's already done with the national team. And then up top, it's pretty easy. No-brainer Santi Jimenez. No-brainer Chucky Lozano. And I'm going Cesar Huerta Herc here because I know what the other guys are. I know what Orbelin is. I know what Uliel Antuna is. I want to see more from Chino Huerta. Let's see if we can keep feeding that hot hand. What do you think of my onse here? All right. Uh... You said this is your problem, so that means this is what you think Jimmy Lozano's going to do. I don't think that's what Jimmy Lozano's going to do, but let me just mm -hmm. concentrate on this 11. This is a hipster's dream 11. I know you guys that are tired of, of the old guard or of the old Mexican national team, but what you just saw from Jimmy Lozano's last window, if you will, this mm -hmm. is a, a, a welcome sight, absolutely, a breath of fresh air. This is why I don't think it'll happen, because Jimmy Lozano's picking the squad. Malagón, I think he gave us some insight, right? He said so much after the Uzbekistan game that maybe it would have been beneficial to give another goalkeeper some minutes. All right, so Malagón could get those minutes. Uh, if we had to rank the four goalkeepers right now, I think in Jimmy's eyes, he would go Memo Choa one, Malagón two, Toño Rodriguez, three. Julio Gonzalez, four. Shout out to Julio Gonzalez. I know how hard he's worked for this. Standing behind Osvaldo Sanchez at Santos. And then Talavera at Pumas. He's definitely earned the right to be on this list, but there's four goalkeepers. All four well played. So Malagón is a good shout. The last goalkeeper to play uh, besides Memo Ochoa was Malagón. He didn't do so well versus Cameroon at Snapdragon Stadium. Turn the page, different game. I'll give you that. Uh, very good to see a goalkeeper do things and potentially do things in the future. Ramon Juarez, I'm very, very curious um, if he will give the debut to Ramon Juarez. This is a guy that doesn't have more than 40 games of top flight football. You know, mm -hmm. I've raved about Ramon Juarez, uh, how he's got that hunger, the humility, how well he played with San Luis, how well he's playing right now with this Club America alongside Igor Lichnowski. I'm worried about putting Ramon Juarez in a debut game against a team like Ghana, who has some playmakers, has some pace to him, has some really test good transition players, alongside Cesar Montes, who's not really been playing at the club level. He's not really been playing that much. So that duo is of a concern to me. I would think, I would think that Jimmy Lozano has kind of played his hand, shown us his cards before, and we're going to see Edson mm -hmm. Alvarez there. I think you think that as well deep down inside. Mm -hmm. Jorge Sanchez on the right is what I think Jimmy Lozano is going to do because I don't think Jimmy Lozano likes the way that Kevin Alvarez defends. He's very good going forward, a liability defending. You already mentioned a Julian uh, on the left. I could see Artiaga. I could see that. I, I want to see that.
I don't want to see Gallardo. I want to see Arteaga. In the midfield, I've got no issue. Chavez should be on the left. Sanchez on the right. We could probably see a Jorge Cortizo. I'm going to say Ruiz get some minutes. But I've got no issue with the trio if that were the trio. This is where things get tricky. Okay? You have three players, or I should say two players in this instance, that could play on the left that are left wingers. Cesar Huerta, who's killing it at Liga Mekis right now, who's got two games mm-hmm. under his belt. One start, and Chucky Lozano. Where do you go from here? Because Chucky Lozano in his best moments for the Mexican national team and at club level have come from the left winger position. Are we to think that Chucky is just to be taken out to the right flank to accommodate a debutante and he will be okay with it? Oh, that would be the answer. I'm not too sure. Listen, Cesar Huerta could be a breath of fresh air in many reasons, for many reasons. He came off the bench against Australia, scored a good goal, started the next game against Uzbekistan and kind of disappeared. I don't Mm -hmm. think that will be the solution in Jimmy's eyes. How much we see of these two playing together, opposite each other, Mm. I think will be uh, telling into how flexible Jimmy Lozano is with this lineup, but I don't think it'll happen. It's very popular now, Herc, to invert your wingers, right? To have somebody who's a left-footed player play on the right and a right-footed player like Chucky play on the left. So uh, maybe there's something there. As far as Juarez is concerned, and, and I, I understand your doubts about giving a, a player like this a debut in a spot like this, it's almost at this point by default, right? I made that 11 considering right. no Victor Guzman and, and even though he's doubtful, no Johan Vasquez. If I had either of those guys, I, made have, I might have leaned there. Um, but at this point, if those two guys can't play, he's probably your only choice there at center back. So it, it may be a, Edson, a non-starter. There may be no choice for Jimmy Lozano. Edson, think other about than this. Edson. Think about this. I mean, you mentioned Victor, Victor Guzman is out. I mean, how many minutes did he play at Gold Cup? Do you want to know? Mm. He played zero minutes at Gold Cup with Jimmy Lozano. It was Edson Alvarez playing alongside Cesar Montes. Uh, and, and, and you know what? It was also Luis Romo playing there as well. So that could be an option for uh, Jimmy Lozano. But uh, Ramon Juarez, I think he's a very good player. But this is a baptism by fire if you throw him into the game uh, alongside Cesar Montes uh, against Ghana like this without any previous experience. All right, so my front three then, Chucky Lozano, Cesar Huerta, and Santi Jimenez. You know, Herc, I love Santi Jimenez. But not everybody right now is saying wonderful things about Santiago Jimenez. And the people who are downplaying his success, it may well surprise you. Mexican legend, Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Quote, with all due respect, you are talking about the Dutch League. You are not talking about the Premier League. You have to be realistic. You are talking about a league that really is not a competitive league. Whoa. Sounds like shots fired, Herc, but I think we're making this get lost. Is this a get lost for Quau, or do you agree with what he says? It's not a get lost for Quau. Um, and, and listen, if there's an authorized voice to talk about Mexican football, it's Guatemala Blanco. Uh, we, we so much have said this last episode. When you look at the Eredivisie, it's a very attacking league. The amount of players who come out of there and have scored a plenty of goals and in the next jump, yeah, it was lacking. Uh, it's a different league. It's much more demanding physically. It's much more demanding de- defensively, tactically, all these things. Look at these names here. I mean, these are players with big transfers that absolutely crushed the Dutch league and struggled at the next level. You can see the dip, the before and the after. Will that happen to Santi Jimenez? We don't know. But what Guau is saying, there is some actual merit to it. Hmm. 
I mean, it's harsh though, right? You're gonna say that the Dutch league is not a competitive league. If you wanna make the point that the Dutch league is not as competitive as the Premier League, or that you think his numbers might not convert goal for goal to the highest level, that's one thing. But this feels like sabotage from inside the house. Like, why is Cuauhtémoc Blanco so worried about Santiago Jimenez. This is something to celebrate, not to downplay. This is a guy who has gone to the Dutch League, has dominated, has gotten better, and is proving that he is not among the best players in the world right now, but that what he's doing could be a step, could be a launching pad to becoming among the best players in the world. Hold on. That's what we're talking about. No, it no, doesn't no. help when outlets, some of them maybe related to this show, make graphics that put Santiago Jimenez in the same conversation as Kylian Mbappe and Harry Kane and others. We know he's not there. We know no, the Dutch League know. is not the is not the Bundesliga. No. We know it's not the Premier League, Herc. But we can understand that this guy is doing very impressive things. Cuauhtémoc Blanco is not the person I want to hear downplaying the level of the Eredivisie or what Santiago Jimenez is doing. He's a politician. How many Dutch League games do you think he's really watching? I don't know if you're attacking Cuauhtémoc exactly. Blanco. Attack Cuauhtémoc exactly. Blanco. What do you mean? What is, that? is what he's saying wrong? Is it inaccurate? So yes. don't say to say it is not a competitive league is inaccurate. Okay, let that me is tell inaccurate. you. Let me tell 100% you. 100% inaccurate. Let me tell you something, okay? Um, mm -hmm. I do plenty of other shows besides this show, and some of those shows get transmitted to Latin America. Some of those shows only to Mexico. Uh, there is a feeling in Mexico like Santiago mm -hmm. Jimenez is the next big thing that only the outlets in Mexico feel. I'm a massive Hold fan. Hold on a second. He's been linked to every major club in the world. What do you mean only the outlets in Mexico think he's the next big thing? That's ludicrous. Listen to what I'm saying and then you can throw a fit. You can start crying if you want, but listen to what I am saying, okay? There's a different reality for these pundits and fans in mm -hmm. Mexico. Santiago Jimenez is a fabulous player, and with mm -hmm. due time, he can get there. But they feel, a lot of these fans, pundits, feel he should already be there. Mm -hmm. Now, that is the context to which Cuauhtémoc Blanco is saying, settle down. The reality is there's a massive jump, and he's right about that. There then why is a not just say settle down? Why not just say slow down the hype train? Why That's not, exactly why say, what he said with all due nah, respect. He says, he said, please. He's trashed the league that the guy plays in. He's basically saying what he's done in, in Netherlands means nothing. That's what he said. That's what he said? That it yeah, means he says nothing? It's a, not a competitive league. That it means nothing is what he said? Compared to the Premier League is what he was saying. I don't know if you saw that there. And also, did you see the names on that graphic? Mm -hmm. All right. So what are we talking about? Last week, I told you about John Klaas Juntala being the only nine to transfer to Real Madrid and how he struggled. If you're you're right. see, if no players have ever had success after leaving Holland. You're right. You're right. Rob Van Persie, all those guys, they never existed, correct? Yeah, that's what I said. How did you decipher that? That's like what I said. That's exactly what I said. Mm -hmm. Come on, Seb. Seb, Santiago Jimenez is a fabulous footballer. So you don't... Fabulous footballer. Nobody's taking anything away from him. I, th I hope that's not what you're getting from this. That's what I'm taking from the Cuauhtémoc Blanco, no. yes. That what he's accomplished in Europe is not that big a deal. That's what I take. I don't know what to tell you if that's what you're taking from it. I what do you take from it? That he's trying to say slow down the hype train. There's a big difference from the Premier League mm. and the Eredivisie. Ugh. That's what I think I'm taking from it. I think this is an, an old guy, bitter about the successes of a young guy, hollering about how 
Guatemocator. The way Unbelievable. Didn't see that one That's coming. right. That's right. I love me some Blanco, but you can't be taking shots at Santi. What about Julian Quinones, the Colombian-born attacker for Club America, just finishing up his Mexican citizenship process, which of course means he's one step closer to being eligible for L3. Still got to do the one-time switch. There are three games left for Mexico in this calendar year, so pretty likely Quinones could make his debut before 2023 is up. Herc, how should Jimmy Lozano handle his incorporation into the squad? Is this a guy you're throwing straight in to your starting 11? Listen, he's already tried to incorporate him even before he got his uh, papers, right? His assistant mm -hmm. papers. Um, he's going to have to file the one-time switch and he'll be ready. But last camp, he was already training with the Mexican national team. So that's good on Jimmy Lozano. Seeing where this piece of the puzzle they think could be important can fit because he's got traits, he's got play that's very unique to the rest of the pool. And I'm thinking Jimmy Lozano wants him on the field. The question is, where do you put him on the field, Seb? And if putting him on the field at all mm. costs, what does it do to other positions? Because this man, at his best, plays as a second striker with a post-up striker or another number nine. Well, this L3 plays with one nine. This man, at his best with Club America, has played on the left. And he's shown it with Atlas, uh, the newer version of Atlas after Diego Coca, that he played on the left as well with Mora. Well, guess who plays on the left? You've got a plethora of players. You've got Cesar Huerta, who's the, you know, new boy uh, on the block. Mm -hmm. You've got Chucky Lozano, tried and proven for the Mexican national team. And now you're going to have Julian Quinones. Do you play him in the nine position where Club America has been playing him when Henry Martin has been out that he does well at also? What are you going to move, Santi Jimenez? And if you pair him up with the second nine, is that second nine really going to be Santi Jimenez? That's not his trait, being a post-up player. He's going to be a guy who's going to go running behind you. No, you're probably playing with the Henry Martino or a Raul Jimenez. So how does this impact the 11? Or will we, he be a compliment off the bench, where, which I honestly hmm. don't think Jimmy Lozano is looking at moving him. This is an interesting problem that Jimmy Lozano will have today. And how he handles Julian Quinones will impact other players. I don't actually mind the idea, now that you mention it, of Julian Quinones being a super sub. Like, I think he has the type of profile that you would love to have coming off the bench late in games, and that recently Mexico has not really had when they're down, when they need a goal late. They've not been able to pull somebody off the bench that truly can change the game. But if we think about him, Herc, as a starter, I love the idea of him bringing some tactical flexibility to Jimmy Lozano, and really to Mexico, because I feel like forever... With Mexico, we have seen basically the 4-3-3, and that's it. If you do bring him in, what I want to know from you is how does it manifest itself? Is it a 4-2-3-1, and he plays one of those positions under the 1? Or is it actually what you're talking about, which is some formation, 3-5-2, 4-4-2, that has two guys up top, something we have almost never seen from Mexico? That's the worry that his best position is as a withdrawn striker with a striker like we saw... Is Mexico incapable of playing that? I know they've not done it, but do you think this group is incapable of it? I don't like it because it... Mm. Where is Santi fit in this? I don't think Santi and Quinones' partnership up top does either for their attributes. I don't think they complement off mm. of each other. Uh, I think if you're going to pair two strikers, and I don't think Santi's got the type of player that works off another striker. I think he needs to be that guy, and you have to have a system that's run and gun. You need to get in behind defenses. I think mean, you're talking about a Henry Martino, Raul Jimenez, and what worries me is 
in my eyes, it should be Santi Jimenez in that nine role, and you give him the keys to the kingdom. Let right. him you build around him for 2026. But my worry is this next window, we may not see that, that Jimmy Lozano will keep it in open competition, and Raul Jimenez, who was the striker mm. who scored three goals the last window, may get a run. Who will be 35, by the way, in the next World Cup. That Henry Martin, who was his Olympic striker when they won a bronze gold medal or bronze medal excuse me uh he was his starting nine will be in some variation of these two games the starting nine. Oh, don't forget he was also the gold cup nine it wasn't santi jimenez starting those games santi jimenez came off the bench in the final he didn't start in that tournament so it worries me that you have these lingering players in or around the orbit of santi jimenez and santi jimenez won't get his run uh, the soundbite that you heard from Jimmy Lozano, which I believe the question was from our reporter Mauricio, Mauricio Imai, when he, when he asked, you know, give us the ranking of the forwards, and he, and he wouldn't say, but he said, it's whatever, it almost is like he was saying, it's what everybody knows, right? I think what everybody else thinks. That to me says it, that he knows it's Santi, right? I, I read it as like, that's what he meant there. I, I read like it. If, I, it can't be Henry. No, not everybody thinks it's Henry. Okay. You good? Mm -hmm. I read it. <laughs> I read it as uh, I will never tell you. Like you know, I'll never tell you that type of deal. Nah, 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 nah. He says. He says. I think what everybody else thinks. The right, obvious. Well, we, we, we will, we do we will the see. Obvious. We will Make see if Santi starts both games. If not, I guess I was right. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Let's uh, talk National Women's Soccer League. Decision Day coming up on Sunday. Her last games of the regular season, and every single game has something huge riding on it. All six games kicking off 5 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. And as it stands, only two teams have clinched their spot in the postseason, and only two teams have been eliminated from playoff contention. That means everybody else is in limbo when it comes to the playoff picture. Here's your matchups. Orlando against Houston, Gotham against Kansas City, Washington against North Carolina, Chicago against OL Reign, Angel City against Portland, and San Diego against Racing Louisville. There you see the matchups. Again, 12 teams in the league, and the top six go through to the postseason. All right, Herc, it's all very complicated, so it is up to us to figure it out. We have each been assigned three games this weekend. Again, all kicking off at the same time 
on Sunday. We're going to make the picks. We're going to put them into the calculator, and then we're going to see what the last six standings are. So, Herc, I got the East Coast games, and you I did. think you got anything West of basically I-95. So why don't you walk us through your picks first? All right. Uh, hey, this is my pick, okay? Uh, Angel City to win. It's very simple. By the way, marquee game, probably the most attractive game because Angel City needs to win. Anything else might jeopardize their playoff appearance, first in their history. And Portland needs to win because anything else may give San Diego the opportunity of winning the Shield. Also in mm. play, Sophia Smith, uh, who's back from injury, one goal ahead in the Golden Boot race. So a lot to play for in that game. San Diego, I've already mentioned, they need to win. They're in the Shield race. Uh, it's very important that they win. Uh, Racing Louisville also in that race as well. So a lot to play for there. And then the last one is OL Reign versus the Chicago Red Stars. Now listen, Chicago Red Stars checked out a long time ago. Marilee Swanson, Swanson hmm. excuse me, uh, she got injured and out the window with her season and also the Red Stars seasons. They, they are awful. Uh, but Megan Rapino. Swanson, last game of the regular season for her. She's right now three assists from the league lead. Uh, Chicago has the league worst 47 goals against. 13 more than the second worst in the NWSL. I'm not crazy to think that in her last regular season game, Megan Rapino could do something special and maybe mm -hmm. steal the assist uh, lead in the league there. So those are the games I got. The queen of clutch, Megan Rapino. All right, so some tough choices there. I got the East Coast games. Let's start with Orlando and Houston. Herc, there's a reason that right now, as it stands, both those teams are below the playoff line, and that's that they don't take advantage of their opportunities. Uh -huh. I don't think they're going to take advantage of this opportunity, either of them. I can see this one ending in a scoreless draw at that, and I don't think that'll be good news for either the purple or the uh, black and orange of the Houston Dash. Gotham FC against KC. This one was tough for me. I know KC is eliminated, but man, they just hung six on Chicago last week. And Gotham is not coming in hot. They've won one of seven. That said, we're talking about farewells. Our colleague here on ESPN, Allie Krieger, this is her last season as well. If they don't win this game, if they don't take care of business, Gotham FC, that's it for Allie. And I know she's beloved in that dressing room, so they're going to be especially motivated. Despite the slump, I think Gotham FC gets the job done against Kansas City. And then Washington Spirit against the North Carolina Courage, Herc. As if, I know I'm in Connecticut now, but as if I would pick against my Washington Spirit. Now, both of these teams um, have struggled of late. I, I don't know that I'm necessarily convinced by either Washington or North Carolina, but I'm a bet on the big three up top. Trinity Rodman, Ashley Hatch, Ashley Sanchez getting Ooh. it done for Washington in a must-win game. So I got the, uh, the Spirit winning that one. So those are our picks for decision okay. day, Herc. What we need to know now is we got to run it through the computer. We got to see what all of that means for the bracket. Because remember, the top two teams, they're going straight into the semifinals. And then the other four teams, they're going to square off in the first round. So based on what we think will happen, this is how the top six will shake out. San Diego and Portland, as was expected, we get the buys. Then we got Washington OL Reign. That's a tasty little matchup right there. And then Gotham against Angel City. Look at that, Herc. You got Angel City, your beloved Angel City, into the postseason. I got him into the postseason. By the, by the way, one loss in the last, I believe, 13, 14 games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but their win over Portland means your Shield winners, ladies and gentlemen. Oh! Dripping! Look at this beautiful, wow. beautiful jersey. 
Thank you, my good people at San Diego. Uh, and Angel City, Angel City, all of a sudden, if they can win this first postseason appearance in their history, I know it's only two years into their history, but this is LA. LA only loves winners. They put on a good show, so this is badly needed. Best of luck. So the semifinals there are set for November 5th. And remember, the final will be November 11th at Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. So a good chance for the San Diego Wave, who finished first in the regular season, or we think will finish first in the regular season, uh, based on the results we've picked for Sunday, um, could, could indeed host the final on November 11th. It is the international break. Still a good time to check in on the Bundesliga Herc because that's where many Americans ply their trade, including our good friend Pellegrino Matarazzo, who's enjoying his first full season as the manager at Hoffenheim. You'll remember he took over in February with the club in big trouble and kept them up. And of course, the three years before that, he was the manager at Stuttgart. This season, with uh, John Brooks playing a critical role in defense, Hoffenheim are off to a brilliant start. They got five wins from their first seven games and are knocking on the door of the Bundesliga top four. Joining us next on Football Americas, the pride of New Jersey and probably the only manager in the Bundesliga with a mathematics degree from the Ivy League. He is, of course, Pellegrino Matarazzo. And right now he has Hoffenheim fifth in the Bundesliga. Coach, great to have you back on the show and congrats on the wonderful start to the season. Uh, th thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here. All right, so uh, let's look back at your last game real quickly because it was kind of crazy against Werder Bremen. There's two goals in stoppage time. One is for them. One is for you. What a, get, what a way to go into the uh, international break. Uh, yeah, for sure. We had a very, very, very strong first half. Uh, played uh, probably the best football we've played played all season. Uh, had to suffer a bit in the second half. Uh, the opponent pushed us into our close to our own box and had a couple of chances and we were not able to finish one of our good chances so we kind of suffered till the end and uh, Bremen ended up scoring uh, equalizing I think it was 90th or 91st minutes and uh, immediately after that I felt like the the players released released an imaginary handbrake and just pushed forward and uh, and scored which was a fa fantastic moment for for the team and for the whole club. So you've been a part of some intense moments on the sidelines. Of course, the, the memory that immediately comes to mind for me is, is saving yourself from relegation the last day of the season at, at Stuttgart. Uh, I wonder as a manager, when you're going through something as dramatic as the end of the game over the weekend, two goals in stoppage time, you literally have that swing of, we dropped points, we got them back. How do you live that on the sideline? Uh, always, always in the moment and, and never thinking about, uh, first of all, about the results until the game's over. Just kind of uh, push, pushing forward and always believing. And um, ve very intense, very intense moments. And I think it's important, even uh, despite the emotion, to keep a clear head and make good decisions. Uh, so I, I, just uh, great, great moments. In, uh, and it's not the first last minute win that I've experienced. It's... Um, just fantastic emotion that you take with you for the next couple of weeks and, and months and years. So we, we're in the international break. It's a good time to look at the table. And for you guys, it's a really good view right now. You're fifth, chasing a European spot, potentially chasing a Champions League spot. As a manager, is it too early for you to be watching the table? Uh, because it is early in the season. There is a long way to go. But I wonder if you're really kind of focused on where you are yet. 
Uh, for me personally, it's too early. Uh, I think we're focused on points and not the table. Like just kind of gathering points, as many points as we can each game, looking for the three. Um, and my, my focus at the moment is just stabilizing our, our performance um, as high as possible, just progressing and, and getting better game for game. And and when we stabilize that, then you are able to set goals. So that's that's the process we're in right now, um, gathering points, maximizing our performance. And then if there's a point in time where we start looking at the table, there, there will be a time and then we'll, we'll set goals that uh, make sense for the team. What does a manager do during the international break? I was looking at your roster. You got quite a few international guys, but I'm sure that you've got some guys who are staying home as well. So what does a club manager do over these couple weeks? Me personally or the team? Well, both. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, the, guy, the guys uh, on the team, it's a, it's a good chance to uh, pick up on, on minutes, uh, work on uh, individual uh, topics. Um, so we always have like a test match in the first week, just so guys that didn't get a lot of minutes get a 90 minutes going um, in their legs. And as a manager, you, you the first week, you I personally enjoy giving the assistant coaches space to uh, be active. I'm more of an observant role. Uh, I do maybe one or two interviews like this one today. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and I don't want to say rest, but it's um, mm -hmm. definitely moments to just... Uh, it's a moment for, for downtime and, and reflection and, um, and it's, at the latest, the end of the week, you start preparing for the next game and, and the next couple weeks to come. But uh, these couple of days in the first, first week are usually uh, a little bit of a downtime for, for a head coach. You know, coach, we're hearing so much about the amount of games that players are being asked to play. I feel like the, the teams at the very, very top end whose players are involved in literally every tournament are the ones that that really suffer, but where do you come down on kind of the amount of games that we're seeing now in the footballing calendar? Yeah, I think that there's going to be a limit uh, reached, whether the limit is, is reached or not, uh, I'm not sure, but I think uh, uh, the human, human body needs to adapt to a uh, certain stress. And, uh, you know, I think uh, you see a lot of players um, coming back after national team breaks relatively tired. Uh, that was my experience in the last last break. Um, so you need to regulate that and, and, and do the, of course, do we do the best that we can with, with the situation. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying uh, that it's intense. You know, it's intense for the players um, and it's about regulating. And sometimes you need a bigger, bigger roster to, to compensate for, for national team breaks or international um, schedules. And, and that's um, part of the club's job. And that's what we're doing. We mentioned the good start to the season, five wins from your first seven. Is there anything particularly that you feel is working that's, you know, kind of led to that success early on in this campaign? Yeah, I think I think we stabilized last last season already. If, uh, if you look at just the last 10 games of the season, if you just look at the table, then we're actually fourth place in the season uh, after, you know, a rough start um, on that table. But I think we made uh, good decisions in the transfer window. Uh, we um sign some 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 good players uh, uh where there's comp competition on the squad in the squad even in training you feel that uh, the players are competing for position i think we um we're doing what we need to do to win games i think the players are uh playing more mature football uh, finding the key to win each game each game is, has a different key to it and uh, uh and we're looking for it 
so we're playing disciplined, we're playing pragmatic, even though we have, of course, our game idea and we want to play offensive football. But sometimes there's games where you just need to defend with passion to win, uh, like the second half in Bremen uh, or other games uh, this season. So I think we're doing what we need to do to win games. I think it's also a big, big part of winning. And um, we're definitely working as a, as a unit, a cohesive unit. Uh, it's one organ on the pitch that's communicating, and that's always important in football and professional football. If you want to win games, you, know, you need to be uh, you need to stick together. I look at your lineup, and of course, uh, I find John Brooks in there. Not just in any position either. He's playing that that central role in the back three. I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that's a role you got to have a lot of trust in a guy to, to give him that job. Uh, what are you seeing from John Brooks right now? Well, I see uh, a defensive specialist, I would call him, um, especially if we're, we're defending deep in our box. I don't know if he, I'm not sure yet whether or not he implanted a, a ball magnet in his forehead or whether or if he just reads the game fantastically, like he just clears almost every ball that flies into the box. He knows where to be and he gets to the ball. Um, he's uh, fantastic in that, in that way. When we defend deep, he's... Uh, really, really big part of our defensive structure. And um, he's good on the ball. He's got a good left foot, um, good vision. He's a leader on the pitch. So he's, um, he's doing a very, very solid job for us right now. Happy he's on the team. Before, you, when you're talking about the good start, you talked about the, yeah. the business decision, some of the moves that you guys had made in the transfer window. I'm just wondering like, how closely you work um, with the decision makers and how much of an imprint you have on, on the guys that are brought in. Right. Um, I think uh, it always makes sense to integrate the head coach when you make decisions for for the team. Uh, that's the coach has always a certain style of play that he looks to to play and uh, uh, ideas how to strengthen the roster. So my I I would say that my my communication, the work with with Alex Rose and with Pierman with uh, Basti are is fantastic. Um, very communicative. Uh, we tackle all all club problems together. Uh, on one wavelength, and uh, it's been very productive up till now, and I look forward to the future. When you look at the rest of the season, after you get off to a good start, what does that do for your goals and maybe your ambitions as we head to the winter transfer window, and then as we look maybe beyond into the spring and what you can achieve? Um, kind of how are you looking at what remains of this season? At the moment, I'm not looking at the remains of the season, not looking at the winter transfer window. I'm looking at... Uh, Right now, this this break, how we do the best from this break, how we approach the next game against Frankfurt at home, which we want to win. Uh, and then the next step after that is the Stuttgart game. So there will be a point, I'm sure, where we, we get together and start talking about uh, transfers for the winter, but uh, it's a little bit too too early for that. Um, so that's that's my plan at the moment. Not too, not too far ahead. I can tell. I can tell. I'm always fishing. I'm always fishing. But I know Pellegrino Matarazzo is always uh, focused on what's coming up. If I look at what's coming up, Coach, in the German Cup, you're getting another shot at, uh, at Dortmund, who beat you during the regular season. I, I wonder, you know, how much of a priority the German Cup is for you guys. Because, you know, you look at the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich obviously has this incredible record of winning it. I think you guys are playing really well right now. You might look at that cup and say, hey, here's a real shot at a trophy. For sure, for sure. I think uh, the German Cup is a fantastic competition where you can get into a very interesting, um, how do you say, area or phase in, in a short amount of time or a few amount of games. So we're, we uh, we want to attack um, 
the cup. We, uh, yes, we, we're playing in Dortmund, but somebody's got to chop them down. Somebody, if you want to get uh, to the final, then you, these opponents need to be beaten. So we're looking very optimistically and uh, can be giving all we have uh, in that game against Dortmund because um, we want to win. So, Coach, you were telling us one of the reasons you have time for this interview is because we are in the international break. We've got Germany against the United States coming up. So this is a matchup that I feel like you are particularly well qualified to analyze. Uh, what do you think about the Germany-USA game that we got coming up in a few days here? Oh, I'm, I'm very, very, very interested in, in seeing that game. That's, uh, that's definitely what I could say. I think the U.S. has, has a very good squad. Um, if you look at all the players, uh, where they're playing and um, their market value, it's just a, a very good team for, for U.S. standards. And I think it's going to comp continue to improve. I think it's also very interesting that uh, it's going to be Julian's, Julian's first game with the German national team. So it's be interesting to see what, what he looks to change and how you know, he made some um, decisions regarding the roster, how that affects the, the group, group dynamic. So uh, it's uh, very, very interesting games that are coming up and uh, look forward to seeing them. Julian Nagelsmann, obviously somebody uh, you know well from your time together as, as coaches. Can you give us a sense in Germany just what the reaction has been to the national team struggles? Because, you know, here in the United States, when the national team has a crisis or a struggle, it, it's a blip. Uh, what's it like over there in Germany? Very emotional. <laughs> similar uh you know media is uh, very active and um expressing their opinions i think everyone wants to see the national team do well so that's uh that's a similar it's the same case here in germany um and uh, i think uh, with julian becoming head coach there's been very a lot of positive resonance people looking forward to to what he changes and, and see him as a good decision and uh same with me i think he's uh a fantastic coach, very intelligent and, and, and uh, capable of changing things. And um, I think he's going to be very successful. Coach, when the U.S. decided to rehire Greg Berhalter, one of the things we heard a lot about was the process and how thorough it was. And while I was hearing folks at the Federation talk like that, I kind of was thinking, well, they must have talked to Pellegrino Matarazzo. Here's kind of the highest ranking American manager in Europe. So I wonder, you know, were you part of any of that thorough process that we heard of? I would, um, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I was contacted, I was contacted. Uh, it was a short conversation um, and it was, I think, towards the end of the, the whole process and uh, it was a good conversation. I, uh, we exchanged a couple of ideas and it was uh, a nice conversation, but not the right timing for either party just more of a get to know each other kind of conversation and uh, see what happens moving forward. And does that make you feel good? Because I imagine, you know, even if they don't hire you as the head coach or right now, um, obviously there's the future, but even just from a U.S. Soccer Federation perspective, here's a huge asset. We've got a guy who's in the Bundesliga managing where a ton of, you know, our male players are right now. Do you feel like maybe beyond right now the head coaching role, you can help the Federation and U.S. Soccer and American Soccer from a distance? Well, it depends on depends on the depends on the role. Depends on uh, what the ideas are. I uh, I'm open to, to many many things. Um, I, the fact is is that I'm I'm very into what I'm doing right now, and I think this is the right place to be at Hoffenheim. Uh, just looking to move forward in my own game, and um, I think club ball is is 
for me at the moment to be on the pitch every day, work with players every day is uh, where the learning cur curve is also the highest. Uh, but at the same time, parallel to anything, I'm always open to exchanging um, ideas with anybody who's looking for anything from me. So, um, always, like I said, I think in an interview back back uh, a couple of months ago that um, it's I'm always looking to to give back. Uh, to U.S. soccer, especially at some point, uh, there's something connecting me back to the States and not only my family, just my whole upbringing. And, uh, and I, I like to see the direction everything's moving in. It makes me very uh, optimistic and uh, gives me a little feeling of, uh, how do you say, yeah, excitement, excitement uh, moving forward, especially with the World Cup coming up as well. So let's, uh, but I take it day by day and uh, whatever happens, happens. Uh, we'll see. Uh, that line I mentioned, Pellegrino, about you being the highest ranking active manager right now in the European theater among Americans. How does that make you feel? I, I would imagine that that's a, a great source of pride for you, especially kind of knowing where you've come from and, and, and the long, the decades of work uh, that it took to get here. Well, I don't know what the highest rank is. Um... And that doesn't even. There's no other manager in the top five leagues, Pellegrino. You can pat yourself on the back. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for for getting to where I am uh, on my own way, in my own terms, and uh, without any any how do you say any help. Um, I would put it that way. But doesn't it also doesn't mean I'm the best U.S. manager. I think there's a lot of good U.S. coaches out there. Maybe that I didn't get the chance to perform on this level. Um, and. Like I said, I, I don't, uh, I don't feel much, much. I don't have much time to feel pride because you're just in the tunnel when you're when you're working here and you're just going through your everyday things. Um, I'm happy to see my family uh, celebrating every goal. Uh, they send me videos after uh, during the game, and um, so we celebrate small moments together. And um, I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. But other than that, uh, my how do you say the? It doesn't go much further than that. At the moment. And when's the next trip back home to visit the family? Good question. Uh, my <laughs> dad was here. My dad was here last week or two weeks. No, last week. Uh, my brother's coming next week. So there's actually people coming very often to watch games. Mm -hmm. Also, friends. how does that feel so, for you? Uh, I bet you love that, huh? That's great. It's great. It's great to have family here and uh, have them in the stadium and watching the games. Um, my next time could possibly be be the summer, summertime where okay. we have a couple of weeks off and bring my son, my wife back home and then and then also see the, the rest of the family. All right. Producer Beto is already in my ear. He's scheming for an in-studio interview when you make the, uh, the return to the United States next summer. We'll have to get it on the books. There he is, Pellegrino Matarazzo, the manager of Hoffenheim. They are fifth in the Bundesliga right now on a tear. Coach, great to have you with us as always. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, there he is, Pellegrino Matarazzo, Herc. Turns out U.S. Soccer did give him a call when they were going through their thorough process looking for the next manager of the U.S. men's national team. What would you make of the interview? That's the part that stood out the most. Um, it was the way he responded. Like, yeah, they called, but it sounded like it was a courtesy call. Uh, don't know how serious or, or in-depth the actual interview was. So, listen, it, it, hats off to him, you, you know, He's still the highest-ranking coach, American coach out there, and and most people don't know who he is. You know, mm. most people never heard of him. The casual U.S. men's national fan doesn't know who he is, and here he is in the Bundesliga, thriving with another team. Um, it, go, it goes to show you, man, how sometimes uh, there are stones that, even if they're overturned or turned, sometimes they're not valued. So uh, more power to him and hopefully he continues to do what he's doing and, and can strive for bigger and better. Stock only going up, right? I mean, it was pretty impressive what he did at Stuttgart. Took him up from Bundesliga 2, kept him in the Bundesliga. Hoffenheim's, I think, a little bit bigger job and now he's got a chance that if he finishes this season off, gets him into Europe, maybe gets him into the Champions League. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Now when you talk about American managers that have done things, he's got to be at the top of pretty much uh, anybody's list if he can continue uh, and have some more success here at Hoffenheim. The, the specific words, Herc, were it was a short conversation and it was at the end of the process. But at least they talked to Pellegrino Matarazzo. At least they talked to him. Uh, so U.S. Soccer, we can add one more name to the list of folks that they talked to before eventually settling on Greg Berhalter. Herc, before we get out of here, Let's talk some fashion, shall we? You got a great shirt on. I got a great shirt on. But I think the shirt we're about to look at is gonna take the cake. This is Tele Tigres, okay? Tigres TV. Tigres unveiling their retro-inspired kit for the 23-24 campaign. Herc, it is a thing of beauty. Add it straight. Fire! I am a large. Those are beautiful. I am a large. I love the color scheme. I am a large. That is Tigres! I am a large. Mm -hmm. How about the long sleeves? You know me, I'm a sucker for anything with long sleeves. Yes, that, dude, it's got a whole like 80s vibe to it. it it's, those are sick. Those are. You saw the picture there with Quinones and Gignac. The, even the tracksuit, man, the tracksuit looks good. They got the yellow sambas with the blue laces. Bro. Definite dripping. Perks are large. I mean, even with my America ways, if you're gonna make it a if you're gonna make it a long sleeve, I'll take a medium. Remember, Seb, no longer medium. small. Now that I'm in my 40s, I have uh, graduated uh, to a medium. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football America's big show on Monday. We will be recapping Mexico against Ghana, U.S. against Germany, and NWSL Decision Day. Who will be left standing when it's all said and done in the NWSL playoffs? He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend.
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 